Hi ladies and welcome back to the Feminine Domain, um, episode two. Um, today we are going to be talking about cultivating virtue and shepherding the hearts of our children. So this is specifically directed towards mothers this week. Um, and I'm going to tell you, like Elizabeth Elliot would, she said, I'm going to tell you where I'm going, then I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to repeat it. So we're going, we have three points today, okay? In shepherding our hearts, number one, be worthy of imitation, which means repenting when you are not. Okay, that's point one. Be worthy of imitation, which means repenting when you aren't. Number two, set clear expectations. And number three, embrace interruptions. Okay, so number one, be worthy of imitation. When we think about cultivating virtue in future generations, the first thing that comes to mind is the reality that we cannot impart something that we do not ourselves possess. As image bearers of God, we were created to show this world what he is like, and every human being bears his image. But Christians, uniquely, have the task and the ability, due to the gift of being born again, to imitate God. In Ephesians 5.1, we are commanded to do this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So for us as Christian women, we need to behold God as he has revealed himself in his written word and in the living word, Christ, and we need to be transformed more and more into his image, 2 Corinthians 3.18. A large part of how God does this in the lives of Christians is as we imitate other godly saints. We see this reality all through scripture. I'm just going to read two verses, but it's all throughout the word. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 3 John 1.11 Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And I can still remember uh, when this truth about the importance of imitation was really driven home to my heart, specifically with regard to parenting our children. I was reading to our firstborn, Gracie, before bed, and she was three years old. Um, I was reading from a book called The Biggest Story, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden by Kevin DeYoung. And I read this sentence. God's people had a hard time not copying everyone else around them. Um, this sentence was speaking of the time when God's people looked around at the surrounding nations and wanted a king rather than being content with having God as their king. And I then attempted to explain the concept of copying someone else's behavior by asking Grace if she ever copied the older kids or tried to do what they do. And she stared up at the ceiling, considering my question. And after about 15 seconds of what I thought was pretty deep, silent thinking for a three-year-old, she said, no, mom, I don't copy the big kids. And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, that's actually true. She doesn't. She tries to get them to do what she's doing. But um, it was what she said next that knocked the wind out of me and made my eyes burn with spontaneous tears. She said in her cute little three-year-old voice, I copy you, mom. I always follow you around. 
wham, straight to my heart. And she was right, too. She totally did imitate me at that young age, for better or for worse. Copying the things I would say and even how I pronounce tomato in my Bajan accent, not tomato like you Canadians. Doing what I was doing, she'd follow me around with her toys so she could play by my feet as I did my work around the house. And the immediate thought that accompanied my stinging eyes that night when Grace articulated her imitation of me was, God help me. God help me because I am so far from the woman I want my girls to become. And even as a teacher now at Kawartha Classical Christian School, so far, I'm so far from what I want my students to become, you know? God help me because more than following mummy or for my students, more than following Mrs. Klusterman, I want these dare little souls to follow Jesus. God help me because they are going to follow me and I need to lead them to him. And if we're honest, I think God help me is actually the appropriate response. As Christians, we know that in our flesh, no good dwells, Romans 7:18, And it's a terrifying thing to think of leading these little ones into sin, as it should be. Matthew 18, 5-6 says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Our kids are watching us. And like it or not, they will be like us because that's how God has made the world. You know, this goes for teachers in a classroom setting as well. Um, if anybody listening out there is working as teachers, um, I actually received a card at the end of the last academic year from a mom who is a dear friend of mine. And two of her sweeties were in my class that year and um, they're Irish twins. So one was in grade one, one was in grade two of my split grade. And she talked in her card about the fact that one of her favorite things about the school is the godly influence that teachers have in her children's lives. And she actually used the word imitation in that card she said that sometimes she'll hear her children saying things in a way that she knows that they're imitating me. Um, and so one practical application here is that we should look at ourselves um, when the wheels are falling off the bus, either at home or if we're teachers in the classroom. Um, are the children fussy and fretful? We need to look at ourselves. Many times I've realized that I am fussy and fretful about something. You know, are the, are the kids bickering constantly? Well, how is my heart doing? What sins am I clinging to as I go through my day that I'm not repenting of? And it starts there. Um, this, this desperation or trepidation that we feel when we realize that our kids will do as we do is actually God's kindness to us, ladies, um, it's an ever-present reminder, not just of the fact that we fall so far short, because that would just be depressing, but of the gospel, right? Of our own need for daily forgiveness, our need for him. It casts us upon Christ in such a way that we are able to work in the strength that he supplies, 
educating, instructing, training and disciplining these little souls from a place of dependence on him, not on ourselves. And guess what? Some more encouragement for you. Our children learn to imitate our repentance as well. Many parents today, I think, are afraid to apologize to their children um, when they sin because they think it will undermine their authority. Well, my kids will question me more and they'll think I'm wrong when I give them a directive if I apologize. But that's not the case. When we position ourselves with our children as people in need of God's grace, they learn so many things. They learn that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that God doesn't play favorites, that there are no perfect people, and that no one, not even mummy, is above the need for grace. And this guards them against becoming hypocrites and also against being led by hypocrites. They should be looking for leaders who are humble enough to repent. They learn what prayers of repentance look like. And they learn to extend forgiveness. Even now as I'm reading as I'm reading and talking this out, I can hear my girls' voices in my head. It's okay, mummy. We forgive you. It's great practice for our children in extending forgiveness to their friends, to their future husbands. This world is full of people who will sin against them, and they need to learn how to extend forgiveness. So this realization that our kids will do as we do is the clear call of Christ to us to follow hard after him so that we actually have something for them to imitate. This world is empty, pale, and poor compared to knowing him. And if he truly is the greatest treasure and the one thing we want most for our children, we must pursue Christ as our greatest treasure in every moment of every day. Then we can say with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Or as the ESV puts it, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. So that's the first point. We need to be worthy of imitation, which means repenting when we are not. Point two, set clear expectations. So this is how we as parents or educators imitate our Heavenly Father. Our God is very clear with his expectations. He is steady, not capricious. He's not unpredictable and inconsistent. Okay? Um, and we need to be like our Father, our Heavenly Father. This means we have to have expectations, and that needs to be set at the outset. First things first, because we live in a culture of deplorably low expectations. Children are sat in front of devices and screens and just managed um, to make their parents' lives easier. And even we as Christians can be tempted to have low or no expectations of our children. Um, but we need to expect great things from them. And we need to pray that way, that God would use our children in wonderful ways for his kingdom. Not because we want them to be popular. It's not about notoriety or them being successful by the world standards. We want them to be faithful to Christ in their own homes, their churches, their communities. Right? And that starts now with them being faithful with what is in front of them, with their academics, 
with their relationships with their siblings, their relationship to you as their mom and to their dad. And my parents gave me this gift of having high expectations of me. Um, So many people would tell my parents, you know, just wait. They seem sweet now, but wait till they're teenagers. But my parents never expected that my sister and I would abandon the faith. They knew that Christ was worth the loss of all things, and they lived like it. They saw the gifts that God had given us, and they expected that we would use those for God's glory. Um, and so one, one other way I want to mention here in terms of expectations that we can be tempted to have low expectations is in the area of challenging our children academically to engage in academic tasks that maybe they don't enjoy. Um, I've heard people say before that, well, you know, you can can the book learning, you know, do away with the books um, in favor of, you know, exclusively doing hands-on lessons that are more enjoyable. And while this is definitely easier in the short term, particularly with boys who may find it hard to sit still and apply themselves to more arduous tasks such as written math exercises or whatever in, in an actual book, we need to actually ask ourselves if these kinds of adjustments are the best thing for our children in the long term. Okay, It reminds me of a quote from Doug Wilson in Repairing the Ruins. I'm just going to read it here. It says, The Bible teaches that he who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer, Proverbs 18.9. Those who substitute anything for work in education are consequently enemies and destroyers of education. The motives may be good, but the results are always the same. Now, of course, this is not a call for grim faces in education, but we must stop trying to get our children to enjoy themselves and begin teaching them to enjoy their work. If, for whatever reason, we permit slothfulness in education, we are destroying education. So, to summarize that, that's just so well articulated. Work done unto the Lord is satisfying, okay? And we need a community for this kind of standard setting to work properly whether it's an institution or a solid homeschooling community. But basically, a community where our goal as parents is truly what is best for our children. So in such a community, we can ask each other questions without getting prickly. Questions like, what can I expect of children at this, this age usually? Or, you know, sure, every child is different, but... You know, what should my child be able to do? What has worked for you in teaching this subject? Um, How can I teach writing better? Do you have any ideas? What curriculum do you use? You know, this tricky math concept, what's the best way to teach it? You know, every child is different, but we are not just a standard unto ourselves. And we do not hit at excellence when we just think in terms of what is the path of least resistance or what works best for me, or, yeah, what is going to be easy and comfortable, right? Um, and I ha- an example of this, um, 
last year, my grade one twos, I was quite surprised. I put down their math exit tests on their desk. So we weren't doing a math game. It was just a challenging put pen to paper test that I put down in front of them. And they were so excited to get cracking on that thing. All the little heads bent down over the desks and they just gave her. And I said, well, look at that. They're not just trying to enjoy themselves, but they're actually learning to enjoy the work that is set before them. And that work done unto the Lord is truly satisfying. And that was encouraging to see. Um, So that's our first two points. One, be worthy of imitation. Two, set clear expectations. Okay? Make them love the standard. Give them something to aim at. Okay? Explain things clearly. A clear goal that is simple and attainable. The Wilsons, Nancy and Doug Wilson, always say, God gave us a garden of yes and one tree of no. So it's not a million rules. You decide as a family what those rules are, the non-negotiables. Clear, simple, and attainable. Okay. And then once it's clear to them, you need to repeat and remind the, the children of what those expectations are. We are by nature forgetful creatures and our children are no different, okay? So regular feedback for your child, repeating and reminding them of the standard and then enforcing and correcting when the standard is not met, okay? So no exceptions here, consistency. We need to be firm, fair and consistent with following through, with discipline. And this is what's hard, the consistency piece because we mamas we're maternal and we want to you know just love the children but we must when the standard is not met we must enforce the standard with discipline and you know that is how we love our children so you enforce it and then we praise our children for actually accomplishing things when they meet the standard okay now I need to say here actual accomplishments this is not everybody gets a medal and you you know we need to praise children for actually praiseworthy things okay especially in the area of character so when a boy for example your son takes responsibility for a younger sibling and is showing that masculine responsibility we praise that you know when they persevere and fight their, their boyish propensity towards laziness. We praise that. Self-control, toughness, okay? Particularly in the area of character because that's what we care about. We care way more about who our children are becoming than what they know, right? Um, so praise actual accomplishments and make it fun. I, I've told the boys in my class before, um, again, another <laughs> Doug Wilson example, but trucks drive straighter with a heavy load. You boys, you're all trucks, and here's a heavy load of work, but you're going to drive straight down the road, you know, make, make it fun, make it enjoyable, um, but enforce the standard and praise them when they meet the standard. They w- we want them to love it, okay? Um, and then three, so we have point one, be worthy of imitation. Point two, set clear expectations, which you're going to repeat, you're going to enforce, and you're going to praise them when they reach it and then number three 
embrace interruptions, okay? C.S. Lewis once said, The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending one day by day. We have to embrace interruptions if we're going to shepherd our children's hearts. We must be willing to stop everything and deal with that heart issue. So when disobedience happens in the midst of something you're doing in the kitchen at home or in the midst of a lesson, prioritize dealing with your child's heart over finishing the lesson or finishing the task. Okay, Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your time, focus, and energy is, that is where your priority is. Okay, I can remember a time at the school we returned from recess and everybody was ruffled and out of fellowship. There was a big kerfuffle in the yard and everybody was out of fellowship with one another. And I had that moment of, do I just stop everything and deal with this? Or do I just tell them we're just moving on to our language arts activity? But I realized, no, this is important. This is actually the point. So we sat down in a big circle, heard everybody's side of the story, offered guidance where it was needed, prayed for them all right there, and then watched the Holy Spirit do his work. You know, they all went off to different classrooms because they were children in different classes that they had wronged. Everybody sought forgiveness. And they were all in fellowship again when they came back. And then I celebrated with them. Okay, and that's an important thing to note here too. Um, It's important that our joy in reconciliation is bigger than our severity when we are correcting. After all, which is more glorious, right? Is it more glorious that we're correcting the child? for some sin, or is it more glorious when that fellowship is restored through through their repentance, right? And sometimes we can be way more emotionally intense in bringing correction, and recon- um, the reconciliation piece is hardly acknowledged, okay? And it shouldn't be that way. Um, so I also have a quote here for this last point, Embracing Interruptions by Annie Carey, that I think is really helpful, um, because in order to do this, in order to take the time to celebrate the reconciliation, in order to actually deal with the heart, we have to embrace those interruptions, right? She says, I think I find the most help in trying to look on all interruptions and hindrances to work that one has planned out for oneself as discipline. Trials sent by God to help one against getting selfish over one's work. Then one can feel that perhaps one's true work, one's work for God, consists in doing some trifling, haphazard thing that has been thrown into one's day. It is not a waste of time, as one is tempted to think. It is the most important part of the workday, the part one can best offer to God. After such a hindrance, do not rush after the planned work. Trust that the time to finish it will be given sometime and keep a quiet heart about it. Okay, so as we aim, ladies, to cultivate true Christian virtue in the lives of our children, we need to be worthy of imitation, which means repenting when you aren't, 
We need to set clear expectations for them. And we need to embrace the interruptions that arise. Okay. And I'm going to close with the words of Deuteronomy 15, 9 to 10. May we give freely to these little souls entrusted to us, not grudgingly, that the Lord our God may bless us in all our work and in all that we undertake. See you next time.